If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Recently, a listener wrote in about having to cut ties with people because of their political beliefs, which he considers toxic. He said that this was easier to do with acquaintances, but now that there are people close to him with ideals that he can't stand, he's in a bit of a quandary. And I bet he's not the only one experiencing this lately. So how can we talk to each other about heated topics when we disagree? And is there a time to simply walk away? Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Wu. Every week, I'll help you meet life challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today, let's take a leaf or few from couples therapy. We'll borrow some strategies to help us create empathic conversations that actually heal our political divides and deepen our relationships. Before we get to today's main topic, a quick tease for a bonus segment at the end of this episode. We're back with another short Q&A with Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of the new book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Today's Q&A is about being your own worst critic and striving for perfection. Is that a good thing or bad thing? You won't want to miss Dr. Carmichael's explanation. So it seems that for the past few years, and perhaps especially during the pandemic, there have been more family conflicts and friendship breakups over politics than ever. And this is not just a feeling. According to the Pew Research Center, the vast majority of registered voters say they have just a few or no friends who voted for the opposite party candidate in the 2020 elections. Our feelings about people on the other side of the political divide are also pretty extreme. According to another poll, 80% of Republicans believe the other side has been taken over by socialists, and a similar 80% of Democrats believe the other side has been taken over by racists. Privately, listeners have been emailing me to say that they've had to cut off friendships or become distant with family members because they simply cannot abide their position on immigration or bathroom laws or policing or some other highly debated topic. Some are asking for advice on how to bridge divides, while others are asking, well, how do I cut people off? Let's work on both. To navigate these complicated dynamics, let's borrow a few tips from couples therapy today. And let's start by figuring out what our overarching goal is for our relationships. And that's tip number one. So let's take a step back 
and just consider our priorities in this particular relationship that you're thinking about. Is it a close family member that you hope to have a relationship with for decades to come? Is this a college acquaintance you may never see again besides on social media? Is this an entire parenting friend group that provides your toddler with playdates? What you will do next depends on these greater goals. The general calculus is this. The deeper the relationship, the more worthwhile it is to have a meaningful conversation about core values that can touch on politics. But it might not be worth it to get into a soul-searching debate that never ends about abortion with your barista. Also, the more important the relationship, the more worthwhile it is to be patient and flexible. Meaning, don't expect light bulb moments and be willing to back away from intractable disagreements in order to preserve the relationship. If you only see your grandmother once a year and you value your relationship with her, be willing to take baby steps or drop the politics discussion altogether. Once you've decided that having a political conversation is actually worthwhile for your relationship, you can mentally prepare before it starts. Tip number two gets you started by telling you to take off your jersey. One of my favorite tips about political discussions with family and friends is from Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers, co-authors of the book, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. They suggest beginning a conversation about politics by taking off your jersey. That means be willing to step away from your identification from any particular political team. So you're not here as a Democrat or Republican. You're here as a genuinely curious friend or daughter or neighbor. You're not here to debate party platforms, but rather a specific issue you care about. Extend the same benefit of the doubt to the other person. Don't see them as a spokesperson for a political group, but rather as someone you care about whose thoughts you want to understand. Now, another thing you should keep in mind before starting a conversation is to drop your goal of changing someone's mind about their political stance. And that's tip number three, to reimagine your goal for the conversation. And yes, I do mean completely letting go of dropping the idea of changing someone's mind. Expect with full certainty that changing their mind is just not going to happen. Doing this will immediately and magically make you and your conversation partner a much easier person to talk to. Reimagine your goal instead as trying to understand why the other person feels the way they do. And don't cheat by sneaking in an addendum goal such as, Once I understand how they feel, I can talk them out of it by debunking their myths. No, no, no. Remember how we dropped that goal of convincing anyone to change their mind? I promise that if you secretly hold on to that goal, it will backfire and put you more at an impasse with your conversation partner than ever. Okay, now you have prepared for your conversation by figuring out how deep you want to go with this person depending on your relationship with them. You've taken off your jersey, you're not playing for any particular team, and you have dropped the goal of convincing someone to change their mind. Now you are ready to actually start the conversation. And here is where tip number four comes in, which is don't use why as an accusation 
Instead, use "Tell me more" as an open-ended invitation. A big part of having genuine curiosity and of wanting to understand someone else is knowing how to ask open-ended questions. Sometimes people think they're doing this when they ask "Why" and "How," but those questions are often delivered in an incredulous tone, like. How could you possibly think X? Or why would you support Y? These aren't questions at all. They're accusations that cut straight to the core of someone's moral identity. You might as well have asked, "Why are you a monster?" A real open-ended question is a simple invitation. Tell me more. Variations include, "Say more about the X part," or, "Hmm, that's interesting about the Y part." Could you elaborate? In your next conversation, I challenge you to use an open-ended invitation three times in a row, without offering any of your own opinions or saying "but" a single time. See how the tension just relaxes in the room. Then notice what information and emotions you have now that you didn't have before. Now that you've asked some questions and you're getting some answers, as you're listening. Assume that you're making some assumptions, and that's tip number five. We all know that to assume is to make an ass of you and me, right? And we all know we shouldn't assume we know someone's thoughts and feelings, but we often don't realize that we're making assumptions even when we're doing it. In fact, it's safe to assume that we're always making some assumptions about someone else's political beliefs or motives. And that's not your fault. Our brains are just wired to make shortcuts like this. But in high stakes, high emotion conversations, pause at every step and wonder what you might be assuming. It's even great to say it out loud. Oh, I'm realizing that I might be assuming your rationale about X is this here. Could you clarify about what you actually mean? Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com/slash/investing-in-America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar forty nine. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba da ba ba ba. We've talked about how to start conversations, how to mentally prepare for these conversations, and now that we're in the thick of the conversation. Maybe emotions are starting to run high, and that's where tip number six comes in, and that is to allow emotions. They're usually more sticky than facts. 
So the number one tactic we try to use, and the tactic most likely to fail, is to counter emotion with facts. We think that surely if we have facts on our side, the other side will have no recourse but to be rational and come around. But there are two major mistakes in that thinking. One, people are not perfectly rational. We all have brains wired to be biased and swayed by emotions, which is why we play the lottery and think our own babies are cuter than others. To expect people to be rational is, in itself, irrational. Mistake number two in this type of thinking is that you may not have the full facts on your side. You may genuinely believe that the statistics you quote and the research you know prove your case. But there may be other research you don't know about, or a different and valid interpretation of the statistics you do have. So I'm sorry to say this, but having facts does not make your argument bulletproof. The solution is to avoid hanging everything on facts. Do allow emotions, though. Emotions run high in political discussions, and they're usually driving our opinions whether you like it or not. Trying to understand your friend's emotions about an election, for example, will build a much stronger bridge of understanding, and especially in early conversations. And now, as your conversation progresses and continues, you want to demonstrate that you understand, even if you don't agree. And that is tip number seven. You don't have to agree with someone's opinion to understand what they mean, and understanding is no small triumph. Think about how frustrating it is when someone keeps putting words in your mouth or keeps twisting your meaning. Isn't it the worst when someone doesn't even try to see your rationale? So the most valuable thing you can contribute to the conversation and to your relationship is to really try to understand the other's train of thought, even if you don't agree at the end of the conversation. Then it's important to follow through by demonstrating that you're trying to understand. So in addition to asking open-ended questions, you can also do this by reflecting back what you think you heard them say. Try something along the lines of, okay, it sounds like you're saying blah, blah, blah. Is that right? Or let me make sure I understand what you mean. Do you mean that blah, blah, blah? It's amazing how this one little tip of reflecting back what you hear can really loosen the other person's defenses and make the conversation a lot more enjoyable. And now that you better understand what the other party is talking about, and they know that you understand, it's time to perhaps wrap up this conversation. And that's tip number eight. Let go of the need for closing arguments. So remember back to how we're not trying to change minds here, right? That means we don't need to chase a conversation all the way down the rabbit hole, all in one sitting. Give the conversation a good amount of airtime. And then once there's a level of empathy, understanding, or common ground, highlight that positive piece and then let the conversation turn to something else. To do this, you may have to hold your tongue and completely forego presenting your side of the debate. And that's okay. Your patience will pay off in the long run. This ending on a good note strategy will not only help to preserve your relationship, but it will also give everyone a much needed 
amount of room to breathe, and time to steep in whatever's been expressed. Your conversation partner will also appreciate not having to defend a rebuttal, which will make them much more open to listening to your perspective the next time. In fact, this ending on a good note strategy, along with the previous one of reflecting back what you hear, this combination is so powerful, you'll be amazed at how much more of an understanding you and the other side can come to just by doing these two things. So you may have noticed that today's tips are mostly about preserving relationships and deepening connection by uncovering common ground. For example, people on opposite sides of an issue often agree on the fundamental moral core, but disagree on how to solve this problem. For example, you may both agree that poverty is a problem, but disagree on whether taxpayer-funded social programs are a good solution. Using empathy and curiosity to communicate can help you to clarify this. And you and your partner landing on this common ground, even if you don't agree on all the points, that's a big win. But it's also important to acknowledge that sometimes we fundamentally disagree about a core moral principle. For example, you may hold marriage equality to be sacred, while your friend may hold traditional religious definitions of marriage to be sacred. And there may be no way around this disagreement. So my final tip for today, tip number nine, is that you're allowed to draw lines on certain issues, and you're also allowed to draw boundaries in relationships. After curiosity and empathy have brought the conversation to this core disagreement, after you've already found whatever common ground you can, but still don't agree on this fundamental issue, you're allowed to politely but firmly draw a line. In this moment, you are brought full circle back to the very first tip, which is to figure out your overarching goal in this relationship. And based on that assessment, you may decide to lovingly agree to disagree and move on with your relationship and life, or you may decide that the relationship is not worth keeping when you have such an immovable disagreement about such a fundamental problem. Now, when you make the difficult decision to cut someone off, make sure that you're doing so because of one of their core beliefs feeling so wrong to you on a deep existential level that you cannot keep the relationship. And not just because they're on the other side. Don't write someone off because they voted for the other candidate or party. And don't write someone off because they have certain bumper stickers on their car but do pay attention to their core moral principles. For example, a good reason for me to cut someone off might be that they don't believe women should have the same rights as men. You might tell yourself, this isn't just some party platform. This is a stance I don't have the energy to argue against, held by a person that I don't really need to be friends with. So for my own mental health, I decline to worry about keeping this relationship and I'm totally allowed to do that. And if I must have some relationship with this person, like they're my roommate and we have a lease together, or they're my boss and I work for them, or they're my family and I do want to have family cohesion, I can choose to step down an intimacy level or two. I can hang out with them less. I can reveal less about my personal life to them. 
I can keep a more superficial relationship with them. The bottom line is, you're allowed to draw your own boundaries. This is very important for your well-being. We need relationships that feed our souls, open our intellectual horizons, and make us better people. One way to build these is to use today's tips when you're talking about controversial topics. Tips like taking off your jersey so you're defending a point of view perhaps for an issue, but not necessarily standing firmly on the side of one team. And tips like taking your time to listen to the other side's point of view and asking open-ended questions. Letting go of closing arguments, maybe letting go of saying your bit at all today, and instead just reflecting back what you hear the other person saying. These tips are really great for cultivating good, healthy relationships that you want to keep. And at the same time, one way to protect yourself is to know when to let go. And you'll know by listening to your moral compass, listening to your emotions, and your gut. Now I wish you the best of luck in talking about politics and hopefully other more fun topics too with your loved ones. And now before we wrap up, here's the promised bonus Q&A with Dr. Chloe Carmichael, author of the new book, Nervous Energy. This week, I asked her this. Some high-achieving people become successful because they're always hard on themselves, pushing themselves to do better, being their own worst critic, and always striving for perfection. Does this approach work? And if so, will it always work? Being a little hard on yourself and having high standards for yourself does, of course, work to a certain degree. A lot of high-functioning people will be pretty hard on themselves because they feel like it's better to be self-aware of a problem rather than just complacently waiting for someone to point it out to you. This is true. However, if we get too focused on self-criticism, we can actually hurt our morale and even our willingness to try new things because if we feel like we have to do something perfectly, then obviously... Obviously, it's really difficult to pick up any new skills because we won't give ourselves permission to just be there at that beginner level. A lot of high-functioning people also developed a real iron fist approach in high school because we needed that. We didn't have our executive lobe yet, the part that you know manages deadlines and things. But once they become adults, high-functioning people actually find that they get more done and feel more fulfilled when they learn to ease up a little bit on the perfectionism. Thank you so much, Dr. Chloe. Nervous Energy is out now and available wherever books are sold. And next week, tune in at the end of my episode for another bonus segment from Dr. Carmichael about how emotions play a role in our success. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to hear about your thoughts on how you talk to your family and friends about politics and any other questions you have about psychology and wellness these days. Let's continue the conversation on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at QDT Savvy Psych and also at Jade Wu PhD. We can also keep in touch through the Savvy Psychologist newsletter. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.